Great. Get your Bibles this morning. Turn to Mark chapter 1. We are in week 3 of a series on uh, Jesus 101, which is a desire for us as a church to continue to see who Jesus is and what he is doing. And through the eyes of the first evangelist, through the eyes of Mark, the first gospel writer, who can tell us a lot about who Jesus is and, and the first presentation of, of a gospel. Many years ago, as an elementary school student, I saw something that I have never seen before that day or since. I was at Newberry Elementary on 13th Street in Cuyahoga Falls, and I came out and I saw something that's quite normal in January for, for Ohio. Freezing rain was falling right as I got out of school. My dad used to park up on the hill of 13th Street because he didn't want to get in the traffic. And uh, I would run up that hill as fast as I could because I wanted to get home to watch Saved by the Bell. But that particular day, I was slip sliding as fast as I could up that hill because of all the freezing rain. Well, when I got to the car that day, my dad said, Matthew, strap in and stay right here. I'll be right back. And he got out of the car. And then my dad in his maroon jacket decided to make his way slip sliding down the hill. And what I saw next is something I hadn't seen before and I haven't seen since. You know, you've heard of citizen's arrest, but you have never heard of citizen traffic cop. But that is what I witnessed. My dad stepped off the curb and for the next 15 minutes directed traffic at the intersection of 13th Street Roosevelt and the two parking lots at Newberry Elementary. And I remember thinking, whatever grade I was, what is he doing? They're going to arrest him for doing that. I knew that normal people don't get out of their car and direct traffic. And I wonder to this day what people were thinking at that man in the maroon jacket because they were allowing him to direct traffic. What is going on here? Well, I actually figured it out. I used my powers of critical thinking, because that's what they teach you in school now. No math, no reading, just critical thinking, and that's what I got. I, I, I got so I'm sorry, educators. I'm not putting this. I'm just being funny. Just don't, don't. Last week, it was all the Hudson people. This time, it'll be all the teachers. Anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, I used my critical thinking skills, and what I witnessed was people were sliding down that 13th Street hill and sliding right through the intersection. So every time my dad saw someone coming over that hill, he'd stop all the kids, all the cars, and he wouldn't let them proceed until they'd slid right past Rose, or Lincoln Avenue. And I thought, oh, that's what he's doing. So of course when he got back in the car, I'm like, Dad, what were you doing? You're not allowed to direct traffic. It's like, Matthew, we were out there saving lives. I'm like, okay, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever. I have no idea what those people must have been thinking at the man in the maroon jacket. Now that I'm an adult, they must have been like, let's humor this crazy person. If they did, I mean, what else are you going to do? But my dad directed traffic, citizen traffic cop. It was awesome, absolutely awesome. My dad wasn't a guy who was upset with exerting his authority now and again, and he decided that he had the authority to be citizen traffic cop that day. And what was interesting is people gave him that authority because no one, no one went against his word, which was really kind of crazy. He was exerting that he had the right to direct traffic because it was timely and it was needed. It was timely and it was needed, and therefore a traffic cop in a maroon parka was needed. And that's what my dad did. And that's what authority really is all about. Authority is only good authority if it's timely and it's needed. Well, we're going to see that Jesus came to earth to exert God's authority. In fact, we saw in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus says, The time has come. It's now been fulfilled. Timeliness is key to his mission. The kingdom of God has come. It is needed that God exerts his reign and his authority and his control over the earth once more. But that doesn't mean that everybody's going to like it. But if we can see what Jesus is doing and what it means for us, it might just change the way we think about Christ's authority in and through us in this world. 
going to mean something for you today. Let's see what happens in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 and following, when Jesus begins to assert the authority of the kingdom of God. It says this, they, being the disciples, went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, that's the Jewish day of worship, he entered the synagogue, the Jewish place of worship, and he taught, which was the right of any adult Jewish male to do. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Just then, there was one in the synagogue, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, which I won't try to emulate, came out of him. And they were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Quite an interesting moment. And of course, if you saw my video invite from Friday, you know that today we are going to talk a little bit about the demons. All right? We're going to talk about that. And you're like, could you get to that right away? Because that's pretty interesting. What's this unclean spirit? And what's Jesus driving out? And, and was Jesus an exorcist? That's what we want to get to, right? But the story here that Mark is trying to convey right after he talks about the authority, the reign of God coming on earth, is all about authority. This story is all about authority. It starts with authority. They're like, hey, he's teaching with authority. It ends with he has authority and he's using it over the unclean spirits. The this, this story is all about authority. Now, they were astounded when Jesus began to speak because he spoke as one with authority. That means he spoke as one that actually acted like he had the right to direct their lives. He had the right to say something to them and say, this is what you need to be doing, and this is what God requires of you. Now, that was not what they were used to with their scribes. Their scribes were very scholarly. They were good teachers, but they wouldn't have exerted this level of authority like, this is what God demands of you. This is what I expect of you. Their scribes wouldn't have done that. They would have said something like, well, Hillel says this, and Gamaliel says that, and, and, and Shemaiah says that, and you know, I, I, I tend to lean with Shemaiah. Well, those were Jewish scholars of the day, and you don't need to know who they are. Here's the point. They weren't used to somebody coming in and going, this is what this means, and this is what you're supposed to do with it. But that's what Jesus is doing. But something happens in that moment. Mark writes, just then, a man with an evil spirit cries out because Jesus has begun to exert his authority there in the synagogue. And this is the second point today. Demons go bananas when Jesus exerts his authority. All right? Now, I would say, if you leave with nothing else, remember that demons go bananas when Jesus... But that's what happens. The authority of this demon, this authority of this evil spirit is being threatened by Jesus' authority. So naturally, he goes bananas. He shrieks. He cries out. He starts screaming. Now, this is disconcerting, especially if you're newer to church or, or you're newer to this whole Christian thing, that evil could be personal. You know, it's much more concerning, much less disconcerting to think of evil as some vague thing, some impersonal force in the world. But it's interesting that most of the movies we watch, evil is not vague and impersonal. I mean, you heard the Emperor's laugh at the trailer for the new Star Wars movies. You're like, yeah, that Emperor's a bad dude, yeah. Is he coming back? I thought he died. I think he fell down that thing. Most of our movies, most of our books have personal evil, don't they? 
And here, it's disconcerting because we see personal evil in a spiritual form. But should this be all that shocking? Most people believe in angels, the idea that there's spiritual beings who are working for our good. Why is it so much of a stretch to imagine that there are spiritual beings working for the forces of evil? Not only that, but we've been, we have been introduced, if you will, to this personal being, and one of these personal beings since the beginning of Scripture. Remember his name, Satan? I mean, he's been around here. In fact, Jesus already went into the, into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan because Satan wanted to get Jesus off mission. Satan wanted to get Jesus out of the picture. He wanted him to do anything other than what God wanted him to do. In fact, the word Satan in Hebrew means adversary, adversary, or accuser. So if he could get Jesus off mission, get Jesus to sin, he could look at God and go, hey, he's just like all those humans. He's your adversary, and I'm accusing him of rebelling against you. What do you think of that, God the Father? Of course, it didn't work. Jesus was pretty cool, but that's what his goal was. That's what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He wanted to turn Adam and Eve adversarial to God so that he could accuse them before God and say, hey, they're just like me. They're adversarial to you. They've rebelled against you. They're deserving of hell. That's what he does. And that's what he's doing throughout the scriptures. That's what he does in Job. That's what he's doing in Jeremiah. Uh, I have just <laughs> given you a new book of the Bible. If you could turn to second Jeremiah. It's directly after second hesitations. Anyhow, the, the, the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, he's working in this accuser role again. That's what he's doing. And so to think that there are other beings who are operating with him is no great thing. But one of these beings is who Jesus encounters at this moment. Because Jesus comes along and threatens that demon's control, and therefore that unclean spirit shrieks and goes a little bananas. And the first thing he says is, what of you and us, Jesus? That was a colloquialism of the ancient world. What he was really saying in the modern-day English is, don't mess with us. Don't mess with us, Jesus. And then he says, what have you come to do, destroy us? Because he's an evil spirit, and that's all he can think about is evil and destruction and despair. Obviously, Jesus did not come to destroy people. But he's going, are you going to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now that's interesting. Did you hear us, us, and then I? Did you hear that? Did you read that? He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us, Jesus? I know who you are. I know who you are. What is this, a Gollum Smeagol thing going on here? First person, second person, don't uh, plural, not even worry. What's going on here? Well, there's three interpretations of what's going on here. It could very well be that this man or this demon is speaking for he and the man that he possesses. Have you, don't mess with us, Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? And then the demon says, because he's a, 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 a spiritual being, I know who you are, Holy One of God. That's one way of reading it. Another way of reading it, and one that many scholars believe, is that, that that demon was saying, hey, hey, hold on a minute, Jesus. Don't mess with us. Or have you come to destroy us? And the us being everybody there in that synagogue. That's how some people read it. That, that the authority that was being exerted over the world by evil forces right at this moment was reflective in these demons going crazy. And he's speaking for the whole group. And that would be interesting. Or thirdly, the third interpretation would be that maybe the us is every demonic force on earth. 
that he was speaking for all of those who were adversaries of God, saying, have you come to destroy us? Because Jesus repeatedly is confronted by these evil spirits throughout the book of Mark. For those of you who are in a Jesus 101 Bible study, you will see this week the other places where Jesus confronts these evil spirits. And it's always very adversarial. They're always terrified of Jesus. And they're very concerned that he is exerting his authority where their authority has once been exerted. And that's the point, regardless of how you read it, when Jesus exerts his authority, evil goes bananas because their authority is threatened. Now, what does Jesus use his authority to do? This is a very important point. Did Jesus use his authority to destroy anybody? No. Did Jesus use his authority to then take control of anybody? No. What does Jesus use his authority to do? In every instance in the book of Mark, he uses his authority to set people free. That's what Jesus uses his authority for, to set people free. It is in stark contrast to what the demon has done to this man, is it not? I have control. I am the boss. I am in charge so much that you don't even get to speak for yourself anymore. Jesus sets the man free. But what's incredible is that he does it in a very powerful fashion. What does Jesus do? Let's look at the formula. Shut up, get out. I mean, that's it. Now, that would have been very strange in the first century. In the first century, they were very aware of unclean spirits. It was, it was a more open spiritual time in the same way that there's animistic cultures today. You open yourself up to spirits and bad stuff can come in. That's what's going on. They were used to people having unclean spirits, but nobody said shut up and get out. There were special incantations, special spells, special equations, special symbols that you had to pull out in order to drive out an evil spirit. But Jesus just goes, shut up and get out. They would have been like, he didn't even pull out any of those cool relics or anything. He didn't say the right thing to drive that spirit out. He just sort of just, just told it to leave. That would have been astounding to these folks. And that's why they say, here's the new teaching. And with that kind of authority, holy moly. Now, before we get any further today, I want to answer some questions for you because I know you probably came with some in regards to this passage. You may say to me, Pastor Matt, how prevalent is this today? And do you, get, do you see this all the time? Because I don't see this all the time. What, 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 what this, this, this demon possession, what, what, how does that happen? What's going on here? And what do I need to do about it? Well, I will say it's, it's not nearly as prevalent in the Western world as it is in some cultures that are more animistic and open to possession of spiritual beings. Where, where there is a desire, and you can read about this, where there's a desire to open yourself up and say, hey, come take control, whoever you are. But I'd also say that in 14 years of ministry, 35 years of life, I have only seen two people possessed to this level. Only two. Where they're not speaking for themselves and someone's going nuts in the presence of Jesus' authority. On, only twice. I talked to one of my elders this week. So how many times have you seen this? And he's in his 60s. He's going, ah, two you say, why don't we see this as much? And I have a suspicion, but this is not gospel. This is just Pastor Matt's folksy anecdotal evidence, okay? I think we don't see this as much in the Western world because the enemy of our souls gets to exert far more control over this world if he convinces us he's not around. And in the Western world where we all think we're very rational, we're very enlightened, we don't need to worry about evil forces, it's much easier for him to go, uh-huh, that's right. That's right. You don't need to worry about evil. It's just a vague impersonal thing. There isn't anybody working against you. So don't worry about it. 
In fact, you have control of your life. You're in authority. I promised that to Adam and Eve in the garden, don't you remember, that God was trying to control them and didn't want them to have authority. I promised them authority in the garden. You've got the same thing. You've got it made. Don't worry about it. You don't need to open yourself up to some spirit. You just need to be sure that you're the authority in your life. And you can be an adversary of God too. So long as you want to maintain control and not give authority back to God. That's what I think. That's what I believe. Now you say, what do I do if I encounter a demon? Well, we don't see the spiritual gift of exorcism in the Bible. It never says anything about it. Never tells us what formula to use, do you know? So if it were me and that was you, first off, I would not say, you've got a demon, I can tell. Let me pray for you. That is not something that I would do. If you saw somebody manifest like this and start shrieking and acting, acting bananas, well, then I, I would imagine you'd want to say, in Jesus' name, leave that person alone. And, and, and then if they continue to go bananas, maybe they're just going bananas. But, but I think that the authority of Jesus is enough. I think the authority of Jesus is enough. You say, Pastor Matt, do I have to be a demon hunter to be part of this church? No, you do not. You do not. If I've only seen it twice, chances are you're not going to see somebody possessed to this level. But I'll talk more on that in just a minute because we've got to get back to the text. What does Jesus use this exorcism to do? Let's remember this is all about authority. Jesus uses this to prove his authority. He uses it to exert his authority. I have the authority to teach you as one with authority. Oh, and by the way, I just cast out that demon. Now you see that I have that type of authority. You'll see that throughout Jesus' ministry. We'll begin to see Jesus healing people in the coming weeks. And as Jesus heals people, guess what it does? It proves that he has the authority to direct people's lives and that his preaching and his teaching is legit because only the Son of God could be doing the things that he is doing. And this demonstration of his authority, as we find out at the end of the passage, leads to greater fame. You're like, all right, Pastor Matt, then what does it mean to me? You promised that, that if, we, if we saw what this passage meant, you would know what it means to me. Well, here's what it means to you. Jesus sends his disciples into the world to exert his authority. You say, how can you make that claim? I don't see this in the passage. And this is why I said in that video invite from Friday, if you saw it in your email, that, that you need to have seen last week. What does he do with the disciples when he sends them out? He says he sent his disciples out two by two, giving them authority over unclean spirits. So Jesus sends his disciples into the world knowing that people who bear the name and the fame and the claims of Jesus, that just came to me in the moment, it's not even my note, name, fame, claims, write that down. Anyhow, those who carry that are going to upset those who are presently in authority in this world. Those who carry Jesus into the world will upset those who are presently in authority. People or sp spiritual beings will go nuts, they'll be threatened. And if you remember what Jesus is all about, he's all about the kingdom of God. That means God is re-exerting his authority and he is taking back for people what has been stolen from them. He is taking back for this man what's been stolen from him. This man's very personality has been stolen from him. His self-determination, his reason, his rationale has been stolen from him. And Jesus wants to give that back. And that's what the enemy and his forces in this world are doing. They are trying to steal from you what God would want you to have. 
They're trying to wreck your life. And Jesus is trying to heal it and restore it. In fact, if we find out in the book of Mark chapter 10 that Jesus said, I didn't come to this earth to be served. That's what he says. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. How's that for exerting authority the right way? Didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is willing by the cross to buy back your life, to buy back what's been stolen from you. And he does that by exerting his authority over those who presently are in authority. Now, this should be no surprise to you either. Just in the same way that personal evil shouldn't be a surprise because you probably, or, or, or at least are open to the idea of angels being around, this should not be authority either. Do you know you pray this way almost every day? My kids do before they go to school. Every day, they pray to go out and battle the forces of evil. Did you know? Because they pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They pray it every day. The question is, is that a passive prayer or an active attitude? If it's a passive prayer, then I don't believe you are going to go out and re-exert God's authority in the world. Because if you just hope that this somehow happens in a very nebulous way, you're probably not going to see it happen. But if your prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, is a prayer that God would exert his authority in and around you, in your social circles, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, that eventually the freedom that comes from the authority of Christ coming into your life and the circle around you would set people free. If you begin to pray that way, and you begin to think that way, and you begin to desire to give away the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you desire for Jesus to re-exert his authority here on this earth, then you will encounter folks who are threatened by that authority. But once again, what, what or who, should I say, has the ultimate authority? It's Jesus. You're, you're, not, you're not going out into the world in, in a way in, in which you, you are unarmed. You're going out into the world with everything you need because you serve the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. If you go into the world talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, if you desire to give away that Jesus sets people free and saves them, if you desire to give that away, at times you'll be met with the same type of anger. You'll be met with people who feel very threatened by that message. You'll hear people in, 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 in different ways saying, what have you to do with us, Jesus? But they'll be talking to you. Don't mess with me. Don't, don't mess with this. And you'll go, ooh, that's ugly. But you'll see it. You'll see it. Once again, I think that there's a lot more people who are in this world today who are enamored with their own authority. And therefore, they cannot receive an outside word that there might be a God who not only loves them, but wants to give them something that they don't yet have. I've got it all. I don't need God. If you don't have it all, you're missing it. God has something for you. You say, okay, Pastor Matt, then how do I get out there? What's the next step? Give me the formula for exerting God's authority. 
about to wreck your day. Here's the first step in the formula. You must first submit to his authority before you can exert it. Oh, I got amens. Oh. I, I was expecting like that gut punch. Oh, yeah, I got amens. Good. Good. You must first submit to that authority before you can ever hope to exert it. So let me ask you a series of questions today. What about your home speaks that God is the authority? How about the way that you speak at work or school? Does that, does that look like God's authority is exerted in your life? How about what comes onto your screens and into your ears? Does that speak that you are submitted to God's authority? How about your spending? Does what you spend your money on demonstrate that you're submitted to God's authority? How about selflessness, the ability to drop what you're doing to help others? Does that speak that God's the authority? How about your relationship to God's church, God's vehicle of his kingdom on earth? Does your relationship to the church speak that God's the authority? Would anyone who knows you outside of this place accuse you of being under the authority of Jesus Christ? Would anyone accuse you? In all of those aspects, not just this, all of them, all of them. This is why I worry coming to, coming to church. I just know that that pastor is going to say something. I just know that he's going to try to control me, exert his authority. No, I'm not. I haven't told you what to do in your home. I haven't told you what to say in your school or your workplace. I haven't told you what is allowed to come onto your screens or into your ears. I haven't told you what to spend your money on. I haven't told you how to spend your time. I've invited you to think about it in terms of what God views as important. But I don't come down into your life and try to exert my authority. But I promise you, if you stay in church long enough, God's going to ask you, are you ready to submit to my authority? God will ask you that, not me. I might ask you about God, but I'm not going to come in and try to exert my authority over you. I have enough problems submitting to God on my own. Somebody amen that. <laughs> You've known me a long time, Don. Thanks. I have enough problems with that on my own. My own home, my own work. Well, you work at a church. You never say anything sarcastic or mean-spirited? Yes, I do. That's a problem. It's a problem. You can amen that, Don. That's a problem. We have to allow God to exert his authority in our life. You say, how do I do that, Pastor Matt? Well, the next time God comes for something, and you know it's him, don't look at God and say, what of you and me, Jesus? Don't mess with that, Jesus. Because if I give you that control, my life is over. And I want you to hear the very last point today. If you give God that level of authority by submitting to his authority, you will not be controlled and ruined. You will be set free. That's the truth. They're clapping because they've experienced this. When you give God authority, and the thing that you're holding on to saying, no, God, you can't have that. When you stop saying, what of you and me? 
Don't mess with me, Jesus. When you stop doing that, he'll set you free. And there is no freedom like being under the true authority. Because many of us don't know it, and it sounds severe, but it's true. We are slip sliding down a hill towards an intersection. At some point in our life, by not submitting to God's authority, we are allowing that moment to come where disaster can strike, and we don't want that. We don't want that. The whole point of Mark being called a gospel is the idea that we want God's people to be able to go into the world and give away that gospel. That's what we want for you. That's why we're studying this way. But I ask you the question today, before we get any further into this study, just as the disciples had authority, are you ready to wield God's authority in this world? It's a heavy task. And I don't mean that you go out and be some spiritual weirdo in the street. I mean you go out purposefully, purposefully to give away God's story. And you're willing to accept the fact that people are going to look at you and say, what of me and you? Don't mess with me. You better be sure that at home, you better be sure that in your inner person, you're submitted to that authority. You're set free. Because when you're submitted and you're free, you can exert that authority in the world just through the name of Jesus. And he's going to take back territory for God and set others free in and through you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Come, Lord Jesus. You are always timely. You are always needed. Direct the traffic at all the intersections of our lives. We wait for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to invite you to do something that I don't know that I've ever invited our congregation to do, and this is not a spectator sport, so please, in reverence, head bowed and eye closed. You have a place in your life. Well, let's, let me back up. I know it's so many of your hearts today to want to go and take ground for the kingdom of God. I know that about you guys. I know the fire that God's placing in your bellies right now. You want people to be set free. You want them to be made new. But you also have one place or two places or five places today where you've been going, what of you and me, Jesus? Don't mess with me, Jesus head bowed and every eye closed, I would invite you to take the knee to the Lord. You say, what does that mean? Well, when you submit to your authority, you submit to the king, you take a knee. If you're physically able today and you know exactly what the Lord's been speaking to you, I would invite you physical act of worship today, which would be to take a knee and say, Lord, you can have that and do it right now. Lord, you can have that. People are moving all over the sanctuary. I'm taking the knee to you, Lord. You can have that. I'm taking a knee. I'll bow before you, Lord. I'll take the knee to you. I'll submit that to you. I know what you've been coming for, and you can have it. Set me free. I know what you've been coming for. Set me free speaking to me, set me free. 
This is not an exercise of Pastor Matt's authority. Anybody with that type of cynicism, we should talk. This is an exercise today of just being obedient to what God's given us. Just pray that prayer to him right now. When you're done praying, you can cut back in your seat. We're just going to have just a few minutes of prayer today. And for those of you who aren't yet kneeling, I shouldn't say aren't yet, those of you who don't feel compelled to kneel today, I would just encourage you to say, Lord, is there anything between you and me that I'm not letting you have? I want to be set free because I want others to be set free, free through my life. Let's just pray for a few minutes. Make this place a house of prayer.